Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I can answer that, actually. You're probably feeling a lot better than you should. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to be a cooler. I'm not looking to be your wet blanket. And I'm not saying that that crew was not good last night, because they were. Dak Prescott continues to look better than he ever has. Tony Pollard was explosive once again. Ezekiel Elliott had his best game of the year. And the defense. The defense is making plays. Like, I'm not even totally sure what Dan Quinn has done to that defense since arriving. And I'm not sure that the Eagles are really the ultimate test. In fact, I know they're not. But damn, Quinn has got them looking like an actual NFL defense, especially compared to what they look like last year. And it's not just that the Cowboys played well last night. It's that they were resilient. They showed some grit that we're not accustomed to seeing from these guys. They jumped out to a lead early on when they scored on that first possession. Then they chased that with a huge INT. It looked like the route was on. And then this happened. Whatever the hell this was. Shotgun snap, drops back five in the end zone, hit, lost the ball, knocked away from behind, the ball is loose, in the end zone and recovered, recovered by Fletcher Cox. What a play by the Eagles. That is an Eagle touchdown on a fumble by a passing Dak Prescott in the end zone with a messy pocket and the ball knocked away and the Eagles have recovered and they're within a point of tying the game early in Dallas. I need not remind you that's Westwood 1, you know that. But I'm still not even sure exactly what happened on that play. Why Dallas went with a slow developing play from their own end zone and then what happened to the ball. I mean, that was the weirdest play from your own end zone since the Dolphins did this and Brent Musburger lost his mind. He's going to throw it far out, and it's going to be a safety. Safety, baby. Out of way, Hayward. That's the veteran, baby. Hit him in the end zone. Stupid call, and it's a safety. (laughs) A stupid call, but an amazing call by Brent Musburger. My man. Stupid call. My man. That's what I'm saying, Brent. Stupid call. Stupid call. That is, that's a Hall of Fame call right there by Brent Musburger. What a stupid call. Stupid call. And by the way, he's right. That was a stupid call. Stupid call. Anyway, you see Dallas have an implosion like that and then chase it with Dak getting stuffed at the goal line after the next drive. And then you know what's coming next, right? The Cowboys are about to go Cowboys with it and melt down completely. And then you start to see the really weird stuff. It's the Cowboys, right? Except that's not what happened. That never happened. Not only did the Cowboys not melt down, they bounced back. They took the early shots and the early setbacks, and then they got better. After Dak was stuffed, they forced a three and out, and then they came back and they hit Dalton Schultz with this. Second down nine, shotgun snap, dropping back five, right tackle block, one right throw, backpedaling two-headed, touchdown catch! At the goal line and backpedaling in the tight end, Schultz, wide open on the far side of the field, just inside the pylon, 19-yard touchdown throw. And then the blowout was on. Dallas just kept pouring it on. And sure, some of that was Philadelphia and what Philadelphia did to itself and the fact that they really do not have an offensive line at the moment and the fact that they didn't even bother trying to run the ball. And the fact that Jalen Hurts is still growing as a quarterback. But Dallas turned what could have been a, I don't know, rock fight into a blowout of their rivals. That's got to feel good, right? That's got to feel great, right? 
especially when you hear Dak Prescott saying things like this. I think uh, just getting hurt last year and having to sit back and watch football, getting a, a different perspective of just different ways people play this game, uh, and then going back and uh, the experience obviously has helped, but then just studying and preparing myself and then all the work that I've put in just to get back healthy and not only with the leg, but with the shoulder and just this playbook, uh, obviously the continuity and having Kellen for so many years and I'm just comfortable in the system and everything that's going on around me and having playmakers. Let, let's credit the guys around me. I mean, the offensive line and then the receivers that uh, it make, they make my job a whole lot easier um, that yeah, I feel like I'm playing the best I've ever played. Man, that's a great soundbite. That really is a great soundbite. That's a dude with tremendous perspective. And I'm glad that he said what he said because I've been saying that. I said it before. I'll say it again right now. And I'm glad to hear he agrees with me. He is playing the best that he's ever played. Even with that bizarre fumble in the end zone, he still had a damn good night. 21-26, 236 yards, three TDs. And again, it's not just what the Cowboys did on offense. Like I said, that defense actually showed up. They actually look like an NFL defense. Not like that clown show that they were last year. I mean, there were moments like this. Shotgun snap, quick throw, near side, intercepted, picked off by Diggs. Down the near sideline, 50, chase to the 40, down the sideline, 30, the 20, foot race to the 10, the 5, and a touchdown. A pick six thrown by Jalen Hurts. Craven digs all the way for six. Again, you may argue that Philadelphia does not have an actual NFL offense, but I'm going to argue that the Cowboys finally have an NFL defense. They allowed a total of... 121 yards of offense in the first half. They picked off Hurts twice. They generally made this guy's life miserable. This is what he said after the game. I didn't do a good enough job of, of, of leading. I didn't do a good, good enough job of running our offense, of, of doing the things that I need to do. So it's on me. This one's on me. Hey, look, I respect that approach. I mean, that, that's a guy, a young guy who just gets it. All right, I respect that approach as a leader. However, it's not all on him. That was a total team effort, a total team lack of effort by the Eagles. It's not all on the quarterback when the team has more penalties than it does first downs, and they did. 13 penalties, 12 first downs. Never good when you move the flags more than you move the sticks or when your running backs have a grand total of three carries for the game. Except Hurts was not hearing any of that. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew it was all on him. Play calling was not an issue in this game. Play calling was not an issue in this game. I was an issue in this game. I, I take it and I learn from it, and I'll be better from it. We'll be, better, we'll be a better team from it. That's how you handle it. Again, that's a young guy who gets it. That's how you handle it. Nothing but respect for that. He's not pointing the finger at anybody. He's putting it all on his shoulders. Perfect. Well, perfect except for one quote. One quote that I could have really have done without because it's the kind of quote that can take this show off the rails altogether because of some of you JT peers. I take, I, I take responsibility for um, how this game went tonight. I take responsibility for that. I'm going to learn from it. And I'm learning from it. We're going to be a better team from it. I believe that. Um, I truly believe that. You know, you take your deuce. You don't. You don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on.
You hear what this dude just said? You take you a deuce and you don't just sit there and look at it. You flush it and you move on. You take you a deuce. You don't you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. My man. That did not happen. You did not say that. Dude. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to go over really well with this audience. Man, you were just killing it. J1 Hertz is up there. Looks like a million bucks. Sounds like a million bucks. And that's not easy to do after an ass kicking like that. But he's just handling his business. And then he dropped, quote, dropped this. You take your deuce. You don't, you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. My man. You were doing so well right up until that point. Until you dropped that quote. Until you dropped that deuce. Until you dropped that growler. And now I'm the one who has to clean up after it. Yo, thanks. Thanks for nothing. Thank you so little. Anyway, how good you feeling, Cowboy fans? You smashed your rivals. You've won two straight. You've already got a lead in the division. And you've got the opposing quarterback going all Rex in the ABQ with it. I mean, life's got to be pretty good, right? Sorry, unnamed member of the XR4TI. Were you trying to do something? You take your deuce. You don't, you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. So I'm just going to flush it and move on. Except, Cowboy fan, there's one thing that I cannot flush and one thing that I cannot move on from. In fact, I'm going to pump the brakes on this because as good as you look last night, there is still a yeah, but. In fact, there's actually two yeah, buts. One is the Eagles, and maybe people did overreact to that season opening win over the Falcons a little bit too much when it comes to Philly. But the second yeah, but is standing on the Cowboys sideline. Yeah, but Mike McCarthy. I'm talking about that because every week, Big Mike does something a little weird. And in this case, weird is definitely not good. It's just weird. And by weird, I mean inexplicable and bad. And it will ultimately get them beat. In week one, there was that 60-yard field goal attempt. In week two, it was the weirdness around the clock management at the end of the game. The clock. And last night, it was not calling timeouts at the end of the first half. Dallas had those two timeouts. Philadelphia was facing a second and 31, and then a third and 24 with less than two minutes to go in the half. Look, I'm no clock management wizard. I am no clock management wizard, but it's pretty freaking unlikely that Philadelphia was going to pick up that first down. So the Cowboys had a chance to get the ball back, add to their lead, and choke the Eagles out before halftime. So what did Big Mike do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. One of the officials was actually standing right next to him, waiting for him to call a timeout. And that call never came. It was so bad that Peyton Manning was yelling, call timeout, Mike. Or make Dallas, Dallas want to call timeout. timeout. Dallas needs to call timeout. They probably don't know if Philly's going to go for it or not, right? You Doesn't get matter. nervous there. Call you... timeout, Mike. I mean, he's basically yelling at Big Mike, call timeout. Call timeout. I've got a lot more on the Manning bros later on. But not only did Big Mike not call the timeouts, He didn't even seem close to calling the timeouts. This guy just seemed really happy with how he was managing the clock at that point. 
not only did he not call a timeout, Philadelphia actually burned a timeout. That's how weird that situation got. Like, how did that never come up in that think tank in the barn back in the day? Did McCarthy and his crew just never talk about clock management when they were hanging out doing whatever the hell they were doing in that barn? You see something like that and you think, man, how good is Aaron Rodgers that he managed to win a Super Bowl with this guy coaching him? Because stuff like that happens every single week. Even if you go with McCarthy on the idea that he couldn't see the clock last week against the Chargers, he was at home last night. Surely he knows where the hell the clock is in his own stadium, right? So that's got to be a concern, Cowboy fan. That has to be a concern. You know what that is, Cowboy fan? That's the big deuce in your ice cream. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. Because every week, Big Mike goes Big Mike. Every week there's something. Sometimes it costs them. Sometimes it doesn't. But you know every week there's going to be something. Because that's just how it is with Big Mike. It hasn't been a big concern yet with Big Mike because they haven't played in games that matter. But now they actually might. And if they do, you better hope that Big Mike does not go brain dead at the worst possible time and cost you a dub or more. Just know he probably will. He has before. He will again. Cowboy fans will be wishing that Eli Manning was giving that double bird to Big Mike. You go to Philly, I mean, you're getting a double bird right away from a nine-year-old kid. <laughs> I would give the bird. I don't know. Can we do that? Can you, I'm sure you can, you can blur that out, right? It's over now. Yeah. So, I mean, get double bird by a nine-year-old, and they're saying things about my mom. Hey, uh, Eli, live TV, yo. Maybe you give your guys a heads up if they need to blur something. You don't do it and then ask if you can blur it out. In fact, that's exactly what you do. I'm so glad he did that. As for this take... Since I'm way over already, I think that I would just flush it and move on. I expect you clones to do the same, except I know you better than you know yourself. I know what you think before you think it. And I know you clones, you do drop deuces and just sit there and look at them. You take your deuce, you don't, you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. My man. Hey, now check this out. Does this sound familiar? And I bet it does. You have one device that lets you catch the game live. You have another one that lets you stream your favorite shows. And you're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbors, best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a single way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle. And a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings you your live TV and your on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the very best part, there is no annual contract. Win, win, win. So get rid of all that clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. I've got to give it up to the Manning bros. They have truly done the impossible with their Manning cast. They've made what was a previously unwatchable product 
Monday Night Football watchable once again. And no, I'm not throwing shade at the current MNF crew. It's just been a known fact for years, right? And with these two bros, even in a blowout game like last night, they're proving right up until the final horn that they can still create news and even go viral regardless of what the score is. And not only did they do that, little bro, little bro, went legend in the process. Now, I want to admit, my expectations were high going to last night's game. They were, because last night was going to be different, and it was going to be different because the Cowboys were playing. I mean, let's face it, Peyton and Eli Manning are two of the smartest guys ever to play the game. Mike McCarthy somehow convinced Jerry Jones that he is one of the smartest guys to ever coach the game. Of course, we all know the truth about Big Mike. Old Jera might not, but the rest of us do. But knowing this, at some point, the Mannings' smarts and their jokes were going to collide head-on with Mike McCarthy's, quote, non-stale and analytically inclined way of coaching, end quote. And it was going to be must-see TV when it did happen. You know, like, get your popcorn ready stuff. And then there you had it, right before halftime. There it was. Big Mike, the guy who spent the entire year studying the game, embracing new trends, and building an analytics staff. Remember, he was the guy who did all that. He must have left his numbers sheet and his common sense in his office with that masseuse. Allegedly. Again, his Cowboys had a chance to stop the clock with two minutes late in the second quarter, still on the clock, and that would have given them plenty of time to drive down the field and drive a stake right through Philadelphia. Unfortunately, Big Mike went Big Mike and decided not to call those timeouts before halftime and then take them with him into the locker room. For real, the dude had a chance to stop the clock twice. And instead of letting his offense do what they had been doing all night long, move the ball, he decided not to do so. Better off keeping those timeouts in his back pocket and taking them right back into the locker room with him. Old Pinky was not impressed with what he saw. Not at all. Dallas needs to call timeout. I don't think, they probably don't know if Philly's going to go for it or not, right? You get nervous there. Call timeout, Mike. Call timeout. Was he, yeah, he's thinking about it. Why? Someone, is someone in his ear? Does he have like the clock management guy saying, hey, we can't call it here? It's not. Well, last week they couldn't see the clock with the Chargers. They couldn't even see the clock. So maybe tonight they can't see it either. They are playing at home, but I guess they're going to be happy with 20 to 7. Burn! How you like that, Big Mike? You can't blame it on not being able to see the clock, can you? How about him going with. Doesn't he have a clock guy? A clock guy in his ear. Eli getting in that shot about having a clock guy is incredible. Clock management guy. And Peyton, if you saw it, he was visually like, what the bleep is this guy doing? Like one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, visually dumbfounded with what Big Mike was thinking. I mean, it was so good. I mean, I think we've all been curious what it's like for a player, let alone a couple of legends, to watch a game as a fan. Because we know this. Guys in the NFL always talk about this, and they've always talked about this on the show. They love being on Monday Night Football 
because they've got a captive audience. All their peers are watching. They know this. And haven't you always wondered what current NFL players or even former NFL players think when they're watching something like that? Yeah, well, now we know what they think. They think the same thing we all think when we watch Big Mike not using his timeouts. Peyton and Eli just have better jokes to go along with their better insight and experience. And that's what makes that thing different. Like we've all seen other former greats hit the booth, but not with the cameras on them at all times and not without professional broadcasters alongside them to set them up and hold their hands. Like these dudes don't have that. And they're not polished and it works really well. I mean, like that's as close as you and I will ever get to being able to watch a game with the two of those guys or to see a great reaction, a great reaction to watching a live game with them. And because Big Mike goes Big Mike, we get to see Pinky get all sideways about how idiotic the whole thing is. Think about that. Think about this for a minute. If Peyton Manning is that bent, and he is, if Pinky is that bent with Big Mike, how do you think the guys who play for Big Mike must feel? Seriously, if Peyton Manning's mind is that blown by that decision-making, imagine playing for that guy. Or better yet, imagine being Aaron Rodgers and playing for that guy for 13 years. I'm serious. Aaron Rodgers' greatness and true worth only continues to increase with each game that Big Mike coaches in the NFL away from Aaron. And the best thing about these former lick racers, there's always the chance that one of them is going to get off even in a blowout. So you can never turn the game off. You can never change the channel regardless of what's going on on the scoreboard. As an example, did you happen to catch the junior Lick Racers act in the fourth quarter last night? Seems little bro does not know what you can and can't do on live TV. And the one thing you can't do is go Brian Cox with it. And that's exactly what old Eli did. With Chris Long on the cast, Eli went all in on explaining what it was like to play in Philadelphia and get taunted by a nine-year-old kid. So you go to Philly, I mean, you're getting the double bird right away from a nine-year-old kid. I would give the bird. I don't know. Can we do that? Can you, I'm sure you can, you can blur that out, right? It's over now. Yeah. So, I mean, getting double bird by a nine-year-old, and they're saying things about my mom and Peyton. And you, I can't tell you what they said about mom. You do not want to know. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, you can't do that, Eli. You cannot go double bird. And no, they can't just blur it out. And it's a damn good thing they can't. That was incredible. Eli Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champ, just gave you, me, and a national audience a double middle finger. Like, if that's not the best thing I've seen on an NFL broadcast, I'm not sure what is. Man, I told you, these dudes are real. These dudes are raw. Even his apology was so Eli. Oh, ah, shucks. I guess I can't do that while trying to blame Chris Long for it at the same time. All right, all right. Sorry. Uh, earlier I gave the uh, the double bird. I guess that's frowned <laughs> upon, so I apologize if I offended anybody. I thought I was just, that's what a nine-year-old did to me. I thought I could 
I could do it back. So, uh, but Chris, I blame you. I blame you for that. Uh, once again, if your apology includes if I offended anybody, it's not an apology at all. Chris Long's just laughing. And so was I. And so was America. Like, that's the content I'm here for. My mind was as blown as Pinky's was when Big Mike failed to use his timeouts before the half over Eli's double birding me and you and the rest of us in our living rooms. And I love that the guy did. I'm telling you, the Manning cast, I, I never thought it would be. It's incredible. Like, these dudes are actually edgy, insightful, unapologetic about what they're saying and what they're doing. Well, mostly, right, Eli? For real. Here's the problem. The problem is not that these guys have this forum and this platform. The problem is they're going away. Like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the Raiders and Chargers next week. Apparently, these dudes are not going to be on for another three weeks. I mean, seeing this side and getting to know the real Eli better, how good is this? Knowing this guy the way I know this guy now, He'll probably be up in L.A. next week going all Raider fan with it at SoFi and giving the Chargers the double bird. Hell, come to think of it, if that goes down, and I think it will, I might have to jump the hog, get all tan smack with it, roll up the 405, and see if I can run him down and watch the game with him. Because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do without these two bros until week seven. The NFL... He's got to find a way to flex these dudes back in before then, or the entire nation may go double bird with it. Double bird. I never thought that I would say it. These two dudes are must-watch TV. Work out your stress and get back to feeling great at Planet Fitness. Join the judgment-free zone for just $10 a month and get tons of cardio and strength equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Free fitness training and plenty of room to move. You can go at your own pace and get back to a routine that works for you, all for just $10 a month. Plus, check out the crowd meter in our free PF app for the best time to visit. Don't wait. Join any of our 2,000-plus locations today, in club, online, or in the app. See club for details. Good friend of the program. He is Sam Amick. Good to have you, Sam. How you doing? Rome, you doing great, brother. Good to be back. It, it officially means we're back out of the thing. Right? I was going to say, Sam, it seems like yesterday you and I were talking about the NBA Finals. Just yesterday, yet right. here we are talking about the NBA media days and the start of the season. How does it feel then to run this thing back once again? And Sam, I want to get your thoughts. What about the impact we might be looking at at having two compressed seasons in a row? How is that going to affect the upcoming season? Yeah, it's a lot. It's funny because from a media standpoint, you uh, you feel it a little bit. So I can only imagine as a player, as a coach, how it just feels like, you know, one long summer and, and one that is, I think, worn a lot of people out. You know, the good news is slowly but surely, you know, the protocols are lessening for the folks that are vaccinated and things are getting a little bit more normal. So, you know, it, the media day was, was kind of a banner affair for those of us who do this for a living. We hadn't been back in the building at the start of the season for a while. So, you know, we're off and running, and, and hopefully 
they uh, they get this thing back on track and, and we can have you know the the normal schedule again. Sam Amick joining us. All right. So with media days yesterday, one of the big talking points, Sam, was vaccinations, and there was a lot of focus on the players who are known to be or appear to be unvaccinated. So what do you think Adam right. Silver is thinking? Is guys like Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins talk about vaccines and their apparent decisions to not be vaccinated at this point? Well, I, I tell you what, if you noticed, and I'm sure you did because, you know, you're always, you got your eyes open on social media, that the league wasted no time today sharing a statement from spokesman Mike Bass reminding the public that they had proposed uh, a vaccine mandate of to the players' union and it was rejected. So you, there's a little blame game happening right now where I think the NBA wasted no time, you know, basically saying we're not about to take all this criticism as if we're not doing a quote-unquote, the right thing, um, you know, they're making it clear. The unions are, the, that's you know, who didn't want this. And uh, listen, there's 90% of players are vaccinated. That's a good thing. But when you're talking about people like Kyrie Irving and, to a lesser degree, Andrew Wiggins, who, who play in cities where they can't play home games if they they don't have the vaccine, and then you have Bradley Beal out in D.C. being pretty vocal, and it's going to be in the headlines. Sam Amick joining us, no doubt about that. All right, so you got a couple of great pieces up right now on The Athletic at the moment. Let me start with the one from this morning on Ben Simmons. You know, to this point, Sam, you touched on earlier in your piece, how much of this, what's going on between he and the team, is about that final game against the Hawks and the fallout after that game? And then how much of this is about him being in trade rumors for James Harden earlier in the season? Like, where did things really start to go south for the first time? So here's my interpretation, you know, obviously informed, you know, heavily from, from his side is I, I kind of came up with this phrase this morning. I, I feel like there's a bit of what I would uh, call retroactive resentment on the part of Ben, meaning that if you go back to last season, you know, the Rockets uh, had a chance to get Ben Simmons. Daryl Morey, the former Rockets exec, of course, was trying to get James Harden uh, to Philly. And Ben and his people thought that was going to happen to the point where he was out there looking at real estate uh, in the Houston area. So this was becoming very real. So when that trade doesn't happen, I think, you know, what, where the resentment comes in is that he never complained. When the trade didn't happen, he had to go back to Philly, do his thing. They get the best record in the East uh, heading into the playoffs. And I think, you know, once they lost to Atlanta and once the narrative became that the entire thing was Ben Simmons' fault and then the infamous postgame media sessions with Doc Rivers and with Joel Embiid, you know, who obviously they've tried to clean up their messaging at that point, but it kind of is what it is. Like it was a very tough day for Ben. Um, I think that's, you know, how we got to where we are. But I also think that some of this stuff is not as sexy or dramatic as basketball, which is that, you know, and this is obviously in the, the column today, is that he just has a strong opinion at this point in his career that, that he and Joel are not a good fit basketball-wise. You know, one of the parallels that was kind of given to me is that if you compare Joel to somebody like Giannis in terms of the way that they play, you know, Giannis is going to spend a lot more time on the perimeter. They don't necessarily dump it down to him in the post like they do with Joel, you know, in a a magical world where Ben could just go wherever he wanted. A big guy like Giannis would be a a better fit because we all know Ben struggles mightily with his shot. We all know he is incredible at getting to the rim. But, you know, Joel spends a ton of time in the paint. And so um, in terms of that dynamic and that pairing basketball-wise, you know, barring some shocking change in turn of, of events on his side, 
you know, he's he's made it real clear that he just doesn't see himself playing with the big fella anymore. It's good stuff, Sam. Sam Amick joining us. All right, you also have another piece up. You're a co-author of a great piece about the Lakers offseason. Let's go back. When the Lakers were knocked out by the Suns, as soon as the season ended, what was the priority, Sam, for Rob Palenka and the Lakers' front office? So they knew, obviously, that the retooling of the roster after the championship season didn't work, but they would probably also qualify that and say that health played a big part. They never really got to see, you know, that group um, and what it might have been able to do. But regardless, you had, I think, starting at the top with Jeannie Buss and ownership, you had this sense that, okay, we didn't just run it back after winning it all. We went this different route. It didn't work. But, but what do we do in Lakerland when we got to get back to the top? We do what we've always done. We go get another star. And it wasn't just a huge name they were looking for. I mean, listen, the Buddy Hill pursuit was real, and they thought that the Kings guard and, and his shooting would potentially fit in well with what they were doing. And I, but I think that was a, a Rob Palenka-driven move, the Lakers GM, of course. And, and Rob, by the way, used to be Buddy's agent when he was uh, in the agent world. Now on a different, not a different track, but kind of a, a side-by-side track, you had LeBron James and, and AD doing what stars do these days and, and meeting at LeBron's house with multiple you know star players to just casually discuss you know what might this look like if you come to the lakers demar derozan had multiple meetings um you know obviously russ had multiple meetings and and trying to get a sense of who would fit best so you know they were looking under every rock trying to get the next piece and then to russ's credit like we wrote you know it looked like it was about to be buddy healed and the lakers were going to do that trade and and russ caught wind of the fact that that was happening and he kind of pulled the, the ace out of his sleeve. He called Wizards owner Ted Leonsis directly and essentially put more pressure in, in a respectful way and said, I want out of here and I want to go to the Lakers, and this is something I've dreamt about for years, and, and they ended up making it happen. Sam Amick joining us. All right, Sam, so now you've had some time to think about it, dig into it. How do you think LeBron and Russ are going to work together on the floor? Um, I think it'll take a while, for one. We saw that in Houston when Russ first joined James Harden, some of the, you know, Westbrook teams and everybody around him, it takes a minute to figure out the speed, figure out the style, figure out the pace and all the different eccentricities that come with his game Um, at its best. I think that for one, lightening the load uh, from LeBron's standpoint in transition, getting him off the ball a little bit more, like, yes, you're going to be having to get up and go, but, you know, the idea is that with LeBron playing a lot of four, the power forward spot, that you might even lengthen the runway of his career, take a little bit of, you know, some of the mileage off at this late stage. And then, you know, you, you're talking about a, a heck of a trio with Russ and LeBron and AD. AD at the five, of course, which is something that it's funny. AD and, and his people always push back on this, but it kind of is what it is. AD has, has been real reluctant to play the five for a lot of his career, but, you know, by any objective measure, um, I mean, it's his most impactful position. So the Russ addition, I think that's a big part of this. It, it, it almost kind of unlocks that thing that, that Anthony Davis teams have been trying to unlock consistently for quite some time, and that we should see that on a really regular basis now. Sam Amick, my guest. Sam, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask you about AD at the five. We know he doesn't like that, but we know that he's effective there and teams are effective when he plays there. What about LeBron, Sam, organizing a mini camp in Las Vegas? What was the thinking behind that? And then ultimately, how good do you expect the Lakers team to be this year? 
The Vegas thing, you know, it, it's kind of straight out of the script from two years ago when everything obviously went right and, and they were the last team standing in the bubble. They had done a similar mini camp before training camp. And, you know, the Vegas thing is it's uh, obviously real easy, as you know, as well as anyone, just hop over there and, and get some good, you know, just camaraderie time with the guys. And we all know that LeBron is a pretty special leader. You know, he's a guy that, that knows that he needs every dude on this roster. So they're trying to build something. They do have, uh, you know, new faces. A lot of them are familiar, the Mellows and guys like that, that they know very well. But I think that's a good move by all of them. And I don't know where to put them in the West and in the league at large, Romy, just because I've always had this personal you know, policy of until I see a super team in action, you just can't really handicap it. Uh, I mean, how many times have we seen them fall flat? How many times have we seen the, the headlines, you know, far exceed the actual accomplishments? You know, that could be the case here. But I also think, I think the age thing is a bit overblown. Um, you know, some of the best Michael Jordan Bulls teams of all time were pretty old, all mid-30s and above, uh, things like that. So, you know, LeBron, before he gets hurt last year, was a leading MVP candidate who was finals MVP the year before. So I'm not giving up on him. AD, really, the youngster in the group, is the guy that has always got the the health question surrounding him. But they're going to be extremely good. And then the contrast to some of the other contenders is going to be fascinating. The Utahs and teams like that that don't have the star power but do have the continuity. I agree. He's a senior NBA writer for The Athletic, one of the best there is, good friend of the program. He is Sam Amick. Sam, appreciate it so much. Great job. And always good to have you on the show, Sam. Thanks so much. You got it, Romy. Thanks, brother. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? The Brooklyn Nets had their media day yesterday, and I've got to say, it was really good, and it was really dumb. Now, you know me, I'm positive, so why don't we start with the really good? The good was when a new reporter named Dave from Basketball Digest showed up and was grilling grilling Kevin Durant. Uh, uh, Dave from Basketball Digest. Kevin, uh, KD, why, why do people call you KD? Um, Can I call you KD? Or? Yeah. Okay. My, my first name is Kevin. Uh-huh. Right. And my second name, my last right, right name, my second name, my last name is Durant with a D. KD? Uh, this year, how, what percentage do you plan on giving on the court? 90, 95, 100, 110, what are we looking at? Uh, 110. 110? 110. Uh, I just got off the phone with the Dolan family, and they said that they're talking to the commissioner now. They're looking at working a contractual deal that will allow you, uh, when you're not playing for the Nets, days off, you'll be able to play for the Knicks. Comments? All right, Dave, that was the last one. I'm sorry, was that a comment? That's it. How about you? Do you have a comment? Wrap it up. Okay. Uh, I'm being told my time is done. Have a, have a great uh, year. Thanks. What about the Pelicans? When you guys play the Pelicans, does it kind of make you giggle? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. All right. That's all I got. That's it, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Okay. There you go. Good job, Dave. <laughs> I, have I have to go make some calls now. Tough act to follow. We'll go to Brian Mahoney, Associated Press. We we'll let anybody in here. That, of course, was David Letterman. And honestly, I love this guy's reinvention. His new career crashing NBA pressers. I haven't heard somebody show up with that kind of fire and passion for a basketball press conference since Bobby Ramos went bottom line on Eric Spolstra. Bobby Ramos, bottom line. Coach, you gave San Antonio the credit, and you mentioned a couple of times that you're in the finals. How does a team in their fourth finals come out in the finals their first home game, and get beat to the ball to get stomped the way they did. The, the kind of heart that your championship team has to come out tonight like they did mentally has to be something that's a problem. Clearly. I mean, dang, Ramos just bringing the straight fire. And then Letterman coming in and just carving Kevin Durant. It was great. Just nailing him with questions about his nickname, the effort he plans to give, and the basketball team in New Orleans. Now I know what you're thinking. Why was David Letterman at Nets Media Day? Let me rephrase that actually and make that a better question. Why was David Letterman at Nets Media Day, but Kyrie Irving was not? Because Kyrie participated via Zoom, as in he was not physically there for Media Day. Normally, I could not care less about who is and isn't at Media Day. But in this case, it's just dumb and really annoying. Letterman showing up at the Nets Media Day was great because it was a distraction from the guy who did not show up, Kyrie. And you know Kyrie had to be pissed about that, right? Because if there's one thing that Kyrie loves, it's attention for Kyrie. The context for this is that New York has a mandate which requires COVID vaccines for athletes who practice or play in the city. Irving was not physically there, so the question has been raised as to whether or not that was because of his vaccination status. And his answer was just about as Kyrie as it could possibly be. It's just a lot of questions about what's going on in, you know, in the world of, of Kyrie, and, and I think I, I just uh, would love to just keep that private and you know, handle it the right way with uh, my team and uh, go forward uh, together uh, with with the plan. So, you know, obviously I'm not able to be present there today. That doesn't mean that I'm I'm putting any limits on the future of me being uh, able to join the team. Listen, I mean this seriously. I mean, in all sincerity, I mean this. The hell does that mean? The hell does any of that mean? I mean, seriously. First of all, going third person on yourself in an answer like that is so Kyrie. It's perfect. Going third person and referring to the, quote, world of Kyrie, and yet at the same time, requesting privacy is incredible. And let me guess, the, quote, world of Kyrie is flat, right? And he was only getting started. Please, uh, everything will be released at at a due date. And uh, once we get this cleared up, but as of right now, just please respect my privacy regarding anything around home games, what's happening, vaccination, please. Please. Right? I mean, this dude, 
It's actually a very fair question. Please. Because as it stands right now, if you do not get vaccinated, you will not be able to play in home games. Your team, which has a title or bust mentality, will be without you for half the games right now, as it stands. So that's really a fair question. But there was more. There always is with Kyrie. I know that uh, I'll be there every day, uh, no matter what. And, uh, you know, just be present for my teammates as one of the leaders on the team. He said, while not being there and not being present, that he'll be there and be present every day. I mean, imagine having this little self-awareness that you're claiming that you're going to be there every day and be present for your team and be a leader when you're not there. He said that while he was not there. And then he went here. I know that the focus has to be at an all-time high, um, no distractions. And this was the last thing I wanted to create was more distractions or more hoopla, more you know drama around this. This guy just said, well, creating more distractions, more hoopla, and more drama. Like, I don't want to create any distractions or hoopla or drama while doing nothing but creating distractions, hoopla, and drama. You see, if he was vaccinated and he was there, guess what? There'd be no distractions or hoopla or drama. They could just talk about basketball and just focus on that. Now, it is important to note that Kyrie has done a number of very good things for the community in the past. I want to acknowledge that. But damn, this guy is so tedious when it comes to stuff like this. And there's always something like this. Like, I don't even want to give this guy attention for two reasons. Number one, he obviously desperately wants it. And number two, 90% of the league is vaccinated. There are guys like Damian Lillard who said, quote, I've had people in my family actually die and people actually lose their lives to it like I'm not and it's a way for me to protect myself and, and the people that I love I'm gonna do it you know it was it's pretty simple he's talking about the vaccine quote it's pretty simple I've had people in my family die because of the virus Carl Anthony Towns lost his mother and multiple family members he had COVID himself he lost 50 pounds during his battle with it John Morant said, quote, I'm vaccinated. I have a baby girl. I travel a lot. I can't bring COVID back to her, end quote. Desmond Bain said, quote, whatever happens down the road, I would be fine knowing that I was one of those people that was at least trying to save the other people, end quote. These are guys who deserve to be heard so much more than Kyrie. Notice what they're doing. They're not saying it's private because they know it's not. This vaccine, like many other vaccines that everybody's been taking for decades, they aren't just about you. They're about everybody around you. Also, you aren't just protecting yourself. You're protecting your baby girl, your family, or as Bain said, other people. And in the case of guys like Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins, the vaccine is also about, will you be able to play home games? Can your team, which is counting on you, actually count on you to play 41 games at home in the regular season, or are you going to be a part-timer this year? That's not a personal question. Showing up to work is a professional question. 
And if Kyrie's not vaccinated, he's not showing up half the time. That's not personal. That's professional. Like I said, part of that press conference was absolutely incredible. The David Letterman part. And part of it was bad and tedious and tired and a big waste. Like, I don't even want to give that guy that kind of time because that's what that guy wants. Now, if you have ever been behind the wheel of a high-performance sports car, you realize just how much better a car can be. If you've done that, you never, ever want to go back. You never, ever want to settle for a regular car again. I know this, and I feel exactly the same way about my X-Chair. I knew it. From the moment I first sat down in it, I understood why many consider X-Chair to be the finest office chair in the world. Let's talk about this for a minute. For instance, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? Probably not, but my X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for by X chair. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you do feel that customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Trust that. So try my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairrome.com. That's the letter X Chair. R-O-M-E.com for 100 bucks off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. X-Chair-Rome.com. Let's go to the state of Washington. Ed. It's good to have you, Ed. What's up? Hey, Jim. Thanks for the vine. Hey, first of all, I just need to thank you for pulling the ripcord on me last Friday. You quite possibly saved my jungle career and kept me from putting that thing into the side of the mountain. As far as Kathleen goes, yesterday I actually wanted to call in and congratulate you on your golden ticket, Kathleen, but then you just got greedy and had to swerve for that possum on the side of the road and smack your helicopter yourself right to the back of the line. At least now I know why Susie from Wisco puts cheese curds in her ears every time you call in. Just stay in your lane and stick to your brand, primarily drooling all over yourself over your man candy crush of the week or getting all amped up on death metal and wanting to fight Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Rome, I better wrap this up because just like Rip, I'm probably almost out of time. War Boozy the Ass Lane and War Cal in Vegas finding a step stool so we can speak directly to that wall mounted phone in his grandmother's basement. I'm out. Rack him. Nice job, Ed. I am really anxious to see how this goes. Kathleen. What's up, Kathleen? So I threw a curveball yesterday and it backfired on me. So what? I am completely unfazed by it. It's going to take more than that to phase me. But it's clear to me that y'all are not bright enough to figure out that there is a whole other avatar out there that has nothing to do with that idiotic blue weirdo. Better yet, y'all are just a bunch of wusses that can't handle the likes of Avatar or Cannibal Corpse because y'all think ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Slayer are metal music. No, they want to be metal music. So kiss my ass and I will enjoy all eight of Avatar albums for the zillion time. Go ahead and rack her. See, Kathleen, this is what I'm talking about. Had you just done that, you would still have a golden ticket. Now, having done that today does not give you that golden ticket back. You have more work to do. 
but you coming in after being embarrassed and having your golden ticket ripped and people piling on and you coming back throwing haymakers and telling us to kiss your ass and then going on your rant again about avatars kind of is impressive to me. Again, I don't understand half the hell, half of what you're saying. But I do like your energy, and I do like your anger, and I do like your venom, and I do like your vitriol, even though I don't understand half of it. So good job. Good bounce back. The anger is back. That's on brand. Let's go to southeast Wisconsin. Chris. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Jim. How you doing, brother? Good, dude. How are you? Good, man. Hey, listen, I appreciate your professionalism on this topic that I'm about to, do, to address, but it's really been grinding my gears, man. It's like that former Olympic swimmer tool, Ryan Lochte, has seized control of CBS Sports Channel programming. The jungle is now getting preempted sporadically, but by what I refer to as water cheetah racing. CBS Sports calls it, quote, International Pro Swimming League. What the hell is going on here? Not all the clones have the luxury of owning a Benz or an Escalade. They can just hop in and listen to the show on the radio like me, Jim. So I'm willing to stick up for the clones nationwide that can't afford serious radio. Yet look forward to watching the best sports show on earth. I'll tell you what, dude. If I have to fly out to NYC and talk to the suits in person on my own dime, I'll be on the first plane smoking to the Big Apple. I've never shied away from the responsibility that comes with being the most respected and powerful clone in the jungle. War Kathy, the tobacco-chewing Nebraska Cornhusker lady clone, being brave enough to show the jungle her nice and thoughtful side, although it resulted in the horrific outcome of her golden ticket, getting run through the wood chipper so fast, the ink on that coveted golden ticket didn't even have time to dry. In unwar, dudes coming to work on Tuesday mornings and proudly announcing, hey, everybody, my fantasy football team won again this week. Nobody freaking gives a rip, man. You already know, brother. But for those that haven't heard, it's a dynasty, clones. Rock him. Mike Williams is my guest. Mike, we got a few minutes. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? appreciate you for having me. Mike, it's great to have you. I appreciate you doing it. So you're coming off that game where you had a career high, 122 receiving yards. You had two TDs. You had a two-point conversion. You got a game ball. You did all of that on the road in KC. Can you take me back before that game? Like, I know your process is your process, but going into the game, did you feel like you were about to do something special and have a day like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like as a team, we prepared good. I feel like the coaches have put a good plan in place for us to go out and uh, execute our plays. Uh, I mean, we just stick to the whole process. You know, our our process was to to play a complete game on all sides of the ball, offense, defense, special teams, and I feel like we put that together as a team. Mike Williams joining us. All right, so take me through that touchdown in the final minute of the game. You've said that it was a running play with a fade tag. For those who don't know, what does that mean and how did you execute that on the field? What did you see? Well, yeah, it was a running play. Uh, obviously, it was an ex-fade tag. Uh, if it's man-to-man, uh, we're going to take a shot to the fade. But we really wanted to run the ball. And if we didn't get a touchdown, let the time run out and obviously keep the game on the field goal. But uh, Justin seen one-on-one, gave me an opportunity to make a play. Uh, he threw it. I caught it for a touchdown and uh, kind of left some time out there. 
for the Chiefs offense to go out there, what we didn't want to do. But we got the dub, that all that matters. But, yeah, that's how the situation went down. Mike Williams, my guest. How'd that feel, man? How'd it feel to come down with that ball, get your feet down, and know that you had taken the lead in the final minute on the road against the two-time AFC champs? How did that feel? Oh, it felt amazing. Uh, it felt like uh, the work we put in this offseason, OTAs, and, you know, camp all paid off. You know, it felt like, what, about three years ago when I caught the game on a touchdown against them, <laughs> it felt like that. The, uh, it was it was loud. We, we shut the crowd up, and we came out with a dub. Hey, Mike, what's that like? What's that, especially that crowd, dude? That's a fierce, fierce house to play in. What's it like when you're 53 going up against 75,000-plus and you shut them up and it gets eerie and it gets quiet? What's that feel like? Oh, it feels amazing. That's what we live for. That's, that, those are the type of environments we like. Uh, to be honest, I like playing away games. <laughs> I like the crowd being in the game. And, and we're the type of team that when we, when we play on the road, you know, when everything against us, we kind of show up. And that's what we like to do. We like to uh, come out, compete, have fun. You know, regardless of who cheering, let's come out, do our job, and, you know, the rest on the scoreboard is do itself. We're talking to Mike Williams. Mike, I mentioned at the top, you earned a game ball with that performance. The career high in receiving yardage comes after you had a career high eight receptions in the season opener. Now you've scored in every game this season. Does it feel like you've taken your game to a new level this year? Uh, yeah, I would say that, but I, I, I for sure would say just a little bit more, you know, being involved in a lot more opportunities, you know, previous years, it was just kind of, you know, go down the field, go down the field, but, you know, in football games, there ain't too many deep shots you can hit in the, in, in the game, but now it's kind of, you know, getting me involved early, getting the ball in my hands and let me make, make plays with the ball in my hands. So yeah, it's, it's been good so far. Obviously we only three games in, you know, got to keep it up the rest of the season, but I'm looking forward to it, and you know it's going to be fun. We're talking to Mike Williams. Obviously, it's got something to do with the guy getting you the ball. Justin Herbert was saying this about you. I thought this was a really interesting line. After the win over Washington, Herbert said of you, quote, he's one of those guys that goes up, and 50-50 balls are more like 75-25. He showed up today. He's a trustworthy guy, end of quote. How do you go about turning 50-50 balls into 75-25 balls? Like, is that about talent and technique, or is that about will and attitude? Uh, it's a lot about will and attitude. I mean, the ball is in the air. Is you and another defender. You know, obviously, he, he's trying to stop you from getting it. So I, I just try to do anything and everything just to make the play on the ball. You know, that's my job. That's why I'm here on this team, you know, to make plays like that. So, I mean, I just put... I practice it a lot, you know, distraction drills, just catching a lot of balls and, you know, you just going up and making the play. That's all that matters to me, making the play. It don't matter how it looks, what it looks like, just go up and make the play. And, you know, that's what I try to do to help this team win ball games. Mike Williams joins me for another moment or two. You know, there's so much talk about your head coach, Brandon Staley, deciding to go for it on fourth down during that drive. He said, quote, we're not here to participate. We're here to compete. We're here to win. And when you've got people that you believe in, it's the easiest decision in the world. End of quote. I thought you paid him the highest praise after the game when you said, coach, he's a dog. End of quote. I mean, you, you don't you hear guys talk about other guys as dogs, but you don't hear players talk about coaches like they're dogs. I had him on the show after he was hired. Man, I was fired up, and I'm just some media clown behind a mic. I got to know, what's it been like to play for him so far? Well, it's been amazing. Uh, I felt like I learned so much just being around him about defenses. You know, he's a, he's a student of the game. He knows both sides of the ball, and he teaches us every day about both sides of the ball when we in team meetings. But, yeah, I mean, that's the type of coach he is. He trusts us. We coach 
I mean, he he trusts us to go out there to make the plays. I mean, they put us in the positions to be successful. We got to make the plays, and you know, we 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 all trust each other. You know, he trusts us to go for it on fourth and nine, <laughs> and obviously we got that with the PI. But yeah, that's the type of coach he is. He he believed that we can make those type of plays, and he put us in those situations to make it. So we just we just go out there and compete. I mean, who who wouldn't want to you know play for a coach like Coach Staley? So with our coach on our side, we just go out there and compete. Well, especially a guy that believes in you, a guy who's saying, hey, fourth and nine, we got this, go get it, and then you do. Let me finally ask you this. You played your high school ball in South Carolina. You went to Clemson. You've been here in SoCal for a while now. I'm a SoCal native. I grew up. I spent my entire life here. I'm really curious. How do you like living out here and working out here? Uh, it's different for sure. You know, coming from the East Coast, all the way out here, you know, there's no family. Uh, it's different for sure. I mean, uh you know, you got that southern hospitality out there on the East Coast, but out here it's a little different. But uh, it's been fun. Uh, it's been fun coming out here, enjoying the weather, enjoying the, uh, you know, the sun every day, you know, having fun. It's, it's a great environment to work in and be a part of. So, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. I respect that response. It is different. It is different. Like I, when I go back east, I look at that, I'm like, that's different. It's good. It's cool, but it's different. One quick thought. You got a big one coming up on Monday night. How eager are you to play on Monday night so everybody else can see what you guys are all about and to go up against Las Vegas? Oh, I'm really excited about this. I mean, Monday night, uh, not too much things on but that game. So, I mean, everybody's going to be watching. There's going to be a lot of people watching. Uh, this when the real lights come out. This when the playmakers come out, make plays. So, I'm looking forward to it. These are the type of games we, we, we look forward to. So, I'm excited to get the plan down. Obviously, we're playing an undefeated team in the Raiders. So we got to have a great plan together for those guys. But, yeah, I'm excited to go out there and compete on a, on a big stage. Man, I love this. I love hearing that. Preach. Mike Williams joining us, L.A. 2-1. They're going up against the Raiders on Monday night, and you're right. That's the one that everybody will be watching. Mike, I appreciate you. Great job, great interview. Good to have you on the program. All right, thank you, Evan. Is Aaron Jones. Aaron, it's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. You know I love coming on and talking to you. Aaron, I appreciate you. It's a big Aaron Jones house, and I'm not going to apologize for it either. I'll say that all the time. Sunday night, you guys go up by 17 in the first half. The Niners fight their way back in. I'm curious, Aaron, what was going through your head when they took the lead with 37 seconds left? You knew you had no timeouts left, but you knew who had the quarterback or you knew he had under center. Did you know how that game was going to end is what I'm getting at. Uh, yes, sir, I did. It's something we practice uh, every day. We've been practicing it since mini camp, you know, and uh, hard work Hard work pays also. Uh, it's nothing. It's exactly what I expected, and that's, that's A-Rod's clutch in that time. He, he throws in that, and he looks for it. Aaron Jones, my guest. Aaron, I think we all know what's going to happen when you have the ball in your hands. However, on that first pass from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae, Raj, to Devontae Adams, you were blocking D. Ford. Matt LaFleur said, quote, I'm watching Aaron Jones. All 190 pounds he is taking on a D end. I think that says a lot about him, too. End of quote. What was that play like for you, and how much pride do you take in your blocking? Uh, I take a lot of pride in, in blocking, you know. We we keep 12 clean, and we give him time to do what he, do, do what he does. Uh, it's going to be big plays waiting to happen. So, we know we keep him clean. We're, we're good. So, um, that's all that's going through my mind, and um, on that play, that's that's exactly what's going through my mind as well. Just um, take 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 the pressure off the tackle, give give him a little bit of help, and uh, keep twelve clean as as much as possible, and then get out of my route. 
We're talking Aaron Jones. Aaron, the team has come so close, obviously, to the Super Bowl each of the last two years. It's early. I understand that. But how does this year's team compare to the ones before it? Does it feel like you guys have what it takes to get over the top? Yes, sir. It definitely feel like we have the guys in the locker room to get over the top. You know, we got we returned a lot of our guys. Um, then we we have some more guys come in, and those guys who came in have been leaders. And uh, we just we just feel like it's time. You know, we we know what it takes, and so uh, we just we're we're ready. We're, we're taking it week by week. Yeah, speaking of week by week, Aaron, after the season opener did not go the way you would have liked, there were a lot of people coming in with some pretty hot takes about the team and about the quarterback in particular. You yourself were an absolute force in week two in that win over Detroit with 115 yards and four touchdowns. How good did it feel to have such a huge game when your team needed it the most? It felt great, you know, just to respond back. Uh, like you said, there are a lot of people uh, with their hot takes and just to respond to adversity and show what, show what team we really are. Uh, it felt great to get back out there. I wish we could have, uh, a lot of us, I mean all of us, we really wish we could have been out there uh, earlier to get that taste out of our mouth, but uh, we came out and did what we had to do and played at a high level. We're talking to Aaron Jones. Aaron, as many people know, your father, Alvin Sr., passed away in April from COVID. Your parents and your brother came with you to Radio Row a few years back when you were on the show, so I got a glimpse I kind of saw the special relationship that you had with your dad. Can you share what kind of an impact did he have on you as a person? Uh, he had a huge impact, you know, uh, everything uh, just from how I live my everyday life to uh, being humble, being respectful, treating everybody uh, to hard work, humility. Just so he, He's taught me so many things uh, to be hungry, you know, it's just, so many life lessons that my father's taught me and um, that I'll forever live with and forever have and teach to my son. You know, you have his ashes with you, and you were able to recover them after initially they appeared to be lost in that game against Detroit. In that win, you had 15 family members in the stands. What did it mean to have your family there for that game? Uh, I mean, everything, you know, it was our first home game, uh, our first one, uh, my first one with, without him. So just to have that support, you know, uh, that's the probably the toughest time for me uh, coping with it is right right before kickoff. You know, I'm, I'm you, I get put back in that stage every time because you know I'm, I'm used to having my dad there for so many years. So just every time, but um, I have my brother right there, and uh, we share that moment together now. And uh, but it's tough. You know, I, I appreciate that, and I and I know that's got to be so tough. I remember when I lost my father, but I do remember seeing you and your family on Radio Row, and I was so moved by that, man. You could just see it. You could see the love. You could see the pride. You could see the respect. It was really a neat thing, and I'm glad you shared that. Thanks for sharing that. You know, if you go back to the summertime, I saw you celebrating the Bucks title, and I was in northern Wisconsin in the summer, so I kind of felt that energy. What was the experience like to see the Bucks win at all? Uh, it was exciting. Like, that was my first time ever going to a – uh, finals, uh, let alone uh, playoffs, you know. I uh, went to a couple games before that in the series. Uh, and just to to get that energy, that the vibe in, in the arena, you know, the the fans here in Wisconsin are special. And you, you want that feel at Lambeau, and you'll do anything to get that feeling. And it just, it just makes you hungry. 
All right, so Aaron, I mentioned off the top, you're working with FTX. How did you first get involved with them, and what made you feel like that was something you wanted to do? Um, definitely so. You know, this is my fifth year uh, going into the league, and with the help of my parents, they helped me put together a team. And when FTX approached me, uh, my team, we did our homework, um, and we just we, we felt like they're a phenomenal company. Uh, they, they're a lot like myself, um, on and off the field. I score a lot of touchdowns, and if they invest in me, I, I want to invest in them as well. And, you know, it's like I, I play football. Um, I'm a football player. I, I can't decide. I, I can't dedicate all my time to this. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you, like, I, I don't know everything about it, um, but I do know, like, like, you know, there was a gold rush before, and um, I'm going to ask you a question. Would you rather sell picks? Picks and shovels or go dig for gold? <laughs> My man, I'd rather dig for the gold. I think I'm going to get paid off in gold as opposed to just getting the picks and shoulder, shovels compensation. No, you got you see, you, you got to take the picks and shovels because you, you, you know everybody's going to be digging for it, so you're going to make the money off of the picks and shovels. <laughs> I see and what then, you did there. Then you, and then you can go dig as well. I see what Every, you did there. You okay, man. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> How am I going to get to the gold if I got nothing to dig with? Dude, you turned me yeah, inside sir. out with that. So, well uh, done. I'm, I'm blessed to be partnered with FTX. They're a phenomenal and amazing uh, company and business. Uh, you know, they do a lot in the community as well. Uh, they have a great team behind them. So I'm just excited about everything. I would make the point also that not only are you an ambassador with FTX, but you have an equity stake in FTX. And is your compensation also paid in crypto? Uh, yes, sir, it is. There you go. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to CBS and ask them to pay me in shovels so I got something <laughs> to dig with, man, so I can find me some of that gold. Good night now!